research that resonates. Schweitzer has not been wrong on any of his years and years of reporting on the Bidens. Investigations that matter. If your last name wasn't Biden, do you think you would have been asked to be on the board of Burisma? I don't know. I don't know. Probably not. But that's, you know, I, I don't think that there's a lot of things that would have happened in my life that, uh, that if my last name wasn't Biden. The only entities, the only people that would report on this, and Peter Schweitzer, who deserves a Medal of Freedom, in my view. This is The Drill Down with Peter Schweitzer. Hi, I'm Peter Schweitzer, and welcome to The Drill Down, where we relentlessly expose cronyism, corruption, and the abuse of power in Washington, D.C. The co-host of the program is Eric Eggers. Eric, I'm very excited about today's program. We're going to be talking about a very important topic. We have a guest, but it's not so much a guest as it is kind of a family reunion. It's a family reunion. What I love about this is there's many different levels of dress code. And Seamus is the one that's classing (laughs) up the family reunion today because he's also the one that's promoting the book. And so I think, you know, he's the one that is dressed for success. And and why shouldn't he be? Because his book is already, I think, a dramatic success. It's exposing things that are help explain why society seems to be bending in a direction that doesn't make any sense otherwise. Here we think everyone's crazy. Everyone's not crazy. It's just that there's a few key people in charge that are essentially trying to help control your life. Yeah, and these people have a lot of power because they have a lot of money. And there are names that you're going to be familiar with, but aren't necessarily in elective office, but they're calling the shots for elective uh, office holders. The book is called Controlagarchs. It's fantastic. I highly recommend it. I even wrote the foreword to it. Uh, Seamus is here. Seamus, great to have you on the program. Thanks for joining us. Uh, it's always good to be on the drill down. So Seamus is the director of research at GAI. He's done an amazing amount of research over the last decade. Some of the biggest stories that we've broken at the Government Accountability Institute. Seamus, now people are going to be somewhat familiar with the people on the cover. You've got Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, Jeff Bezos, uh, et cetera. So what would you say to somebody who says, well, I kind of know about the World Economic Forum. I kind of know about these rich guys What's new in this book and why do you think it's so important that people understand the power that these individuals have? Yeah, that's right. Most people know all of the people or at least uh, the four or five on the cover in this book. But what you don't know is that they have basically seized control of key industries in your life and they are, like you said, bending them. And as the great Ronald Reagan said, you ain't seen nothing yet. (laughs) Well, that's kind of a a frightening uh, view of it. What would you say to somebody who says, look, Bill Gates is just trying to help people. Jeff Bezos is just trying to help people. George Soros. They just want to improve people's lives. These are nice guys. They're nice guys. They don't have government power. They just have big charities. So what are you you talking about? How can they actually control my life? Why do you hate philanthropy so much, Seamus? (laughs) I guess you guys were asleep during the pandemic. (laughs) (laughs) Well, no, but I actually think that's a big deal because I think I don't want to assume a knowledge base on behalf of the people that are watching or listening because the pandemic and what these people are responsible for, and you get into great detail about this, the, the great reset is a term that gets used, but people might not know actually what it means. What did these people have to do with the great reset? And does the fact that they did this thing they're calling the Great Reset explain why the pandemic was as impactful as it was? Um, yeah, I think you just summed it up perfectly right there. A lot of people have heard about this great, great reset that Klaus Schwab announced uh, midway through the pandemic in 2020. He gets up in front of the TV cameras and says, the pandemic presents, quote, an opportunity. And I see the need for 
something called the Great Reset. Is like what you know? What could this Great Reset be? Klaus Schwab defines it as taking over and restarting the entire everything from the economy to the digitalization of everything that would include digital currency, uh, digital ID. Uh, taking over of agriculture. And he says in this speech about, you know, a great reset, we're going to rebuild, build back better in a greener way. And so a lot of people maybe wondered what, you know, what does climate change and green energy have to do with with COVID? Yeah, with COVID. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I think we're starting to see, you know, you have uh, governors like Gavin Newsom, who's announcing that they're going to ban the sale of gas vehicles. You see the banning of gas stoves taking place. Um, I mean, even in the Russia-Ukraine conflict, they're like, oh, we're going to put Penny Pritzker in charge. And you know what we're going to do is we're going to take their energy grid from a Soviet era one. This is Penny Pritzker's term. And we're going to see if we can leapfrog it into a green energy grid, like as if like we're dodging mortar shells. But at the same time, we need to also combat global warming. Like that's what. But you're saying all these things come back from Klaus Schwab and the Great Reset. Yeah, that's I mean, that's exactly right. The Build Back Better plan had been long in the works even before the pandemic and these, you know, infrastructure bills have been pitched for many years. I mean, now it's kind of repackaged as infrastructure previously known as the Green New Deal um, with this $400 billion plus slush fund for green energy technologies. Um, You know, some of the things we talk about in the book is the companies who get some of this money are investments of people like Bill Gates, Jeff Bezos, Mark Zuckerberg, George Soros. And so, uh, the bottom line about the pandemic is the pandemic was this opportunity to profit. The lockdowns were lucrative. Their net worth, the cover, people on the cover of this book skyrocketed through the pandemic. Um, you know, some of them doubled up their net worths. Meanwhile, the middle and lower classes lost over a trillion dollars. Yeah, I mean, it was an amazing reset of the financial fortunes of the middle class uh, compared to the oligarchs. No question about that. One of the people you have on the cover of the book is Jeff Bezos. And I'm going to note... If you want to comment on it, the book is uh, selling very, very well in pre-sale. Uh, it's actually released um, the day after we are taping this podcast, uh, and it was the number one mover and shaker, and it had the biggest um, increase uh, in sales uh, than anything else on the Amazon site. It's been uh, on uh, numerous aspects of the bestseller list, and yet it's curious to me, the copy, the price of the book is $32. Amazon always takes books that are bestsellers and discounts them 30 or 40%. They haven't done it thus far for your book. That's curious to me. That's odd to me. Uh, and that's something that Amazon controls. So I've got to wonder, is Amazon trying to discourage people from buying your book by keeping the price higher than any other book that's on the bestseller list? I can't say that with certainty, but there's been a bunch of screwy things with Amazon. I mean, the removal from several lists while all other numbers remained unchanged. Uh, Yeah, the price is an issue. Um, And it wouldn't be the first time that conservative authors have gotten uh, some unfair treatment from Amazon. You've had plenty of books removed from Amazon or sort of censored from the results. Uh, You'll probably see results for controlling arches when you search this every other retailer barnes and you know, nobody control, else control control now i don't see it no. <laughs> you, you got to scroll so just keep scrolling guys so so let me ask you he's on the cover of the book why would jeff bezos not want people to read this book what is in your book about jeff bezos in particular that you think people are going to find interesting well, Jeff Bezos has this Bezos Earth Fund. He capitalized it with $10 billion, which is 
you know, one of the largest investments from one of these control oligarchs into green energy. And uh, then he's got his personal investment. So it's the same pattern over and over. They use their uh, tax exempt money to exert climate change type uh, studies and research and funding of projects. And then they also personally invest into the technologies that benefit from climate change uh, policy. So, you know, if you uh, ban the sale of gas vehicles. Well, Amazon has invested in Rivian and these, uh, you know, Proterra type companies, these electric bus companies, and that would help Jeff Bezos's and Amazon's bottom line. Um, Bill Gates does the same thing. He invests in electric vehicle companies and then advocates for the ban of gas vehicles. Um, and then Bezos is like Bill Gates invested in these fake meat companies as they try to, uh, ban or severely, uh, seriously curtail the amount of cattle in the world. So yeah, fake meat's weird. And I think I want to hear more about that and specifically what kind of fake meat, uh, I guess maybe it's not fake. It's just bad meat. It's lab meat. It's not meat. It's not meat. So it's non-meat stuff. But I think, so this, the the larger question is, is are these guys attempting to shape American and kind of like, I guess the, the lives of everyone around the world because they're in a position to make money off of the direction these things are going in because they think it's genuinely the, in the best interest of the world or both. I mean, how do you kind of decide down? Cause I know one of the things I love about this book and the incredible work you've done into it is you go deep dive into not just like, here's what's happening, but here's why it's happening. So, uh, and you go into these personal backstories and what's shaped their perspectives. So yeah, it, how much of it's profit, how much of it's control? Yeah, well, like most people, you know, you've seen the eat the bugs memes and the, you know, stuff like that. And you think, oh, this is crazy and uh, is maybe conspiracy or whatever. And then you go and dig through the pages and pages of documents and re- watch the obscure videos, a lot of them have, that have been scrubbed off the internet um, that are detailed in the book. And you think maybe, like, what are these guys just like sociopaths? Do they want the uh, peasants to just be eating disgusting foods? And then, you know, it's not that it's uh, there's an element of true believer to them where they think that this may actually save the planet. However, if I can find that lab grown meats use, you know, use more carbon and cause more pollution than cows do, I think that they can figure that out too. So then the only answer that really is left after that is the personal profit. They profit from the uh, investments. Um, Bill Gates only invested into companies like Beyond Meat impossible foods after they had secured patents, which is essentially a 20 year monopoly over that technology or that process of creating these proteins. I mean, they, uh, the food, I mean, it's kind of remarkable that food is becoming patented. You first saw it with the seeds and, uh, with Monsanto, which Gates invested $23 million into Monsanto. They patent the seeds. Nobody else can use those seeds. And then those seeds are resistant to certain types of fertilizer, which he also invests in these new synthetic fertilizers. And then they try to ban the traditional uses, like uh, you saw the Dutch farmers right. erupting in protest uh, as their their you know traditional fertilizer is banned. It's banned now in Canada, or by 2030, they want to cut it out entirely, and the farmers are kind of getting screwed. So we want to know just how much these forces are trying to control aspects of global life. They are literally patenting seeds and trying to make it so that you can only use the seeds that they have patents on and the fertilizers they have patents on where people, the way we've been growing food, which literally comes naturally from the earth, 
for hundreds of or thousands of years, that's not going to be okay anymore. Since basically forever, yeah. They, <laughs> not, not not basically forever, <laughs> literally since forever. Literally forever. Uh, that I mean, that's the uh, God complex on steroids you see amongst these guys where they think that they can create a better food product than uh, the foods we've been eating forever. <laughs> and, and, but I mean, I think this is the crucially important point is it gives them control over that. So like if, you know, if you eliminate meat, uh, and move towards bugs or some kind of artificial lab type food. Not only do we miss out on those fabulous steaks, but now the actual control of that fake meat is determined by individuals that own the patents on how to produce it. Nobody owns a patent on growing cattle. Anybody can do it. If you've got the land, you've got the ability, but it gives them a level of control over food that did not exist before. Uh, and I think that's one of the, one of the, you know, powerful revelations. Now, on the cover of the book, you've got George Soros, Jeff Bezos, you've got Bill Gates, Mark Zuckerberg, but there's a guy all the way to the left, um, who does not look familiar to a lot of people. Tell us about him and why he is on the cover with all of these guys who are the richest people on the planet. Yeah, that's Klaus Schwab. He is the founder, chairman, head of the World Economic Forum in Davos. And as at the Government Accountability Institute, of course, we follow the money and uh, followed it to the top. And that is to Davos. So Davos is a kind of quiet, sleepy alpine town where once a year, Thousands of people like Bill Gates and Jeff Bezos and Mark Zuckerberg fly over there. And you always see the reporting year after year, like, oh, these hypocrites, they're flying in on their private jets. But what most people don't know is what actually takes place in these meetings. And a lot of the uh, coverage that the World Economic Forum puts out, because it's invite only, you can't get in. If you showed up at the doors, they'd probably arrest you. And uh, they'll put out snippets here and there, and they'll put a white paper, and it's always draped in this very sustainable and we're saving the planet we're, we're a bunch of good guys out you're here. welcome earth <laughs> <laughs> exactly don't worry we've solved it the answer is no more cows <laughs> details to follow <laughs> <laughs> pretty much and uh part of klaus schwab's great reset i mean we talked about it a little bit earlier um is this fourth industrial revolution is what he calls it and it's the you know he's he's come up with a lot of terms that you uh didn't know came from him uh, for example, uh, you know, the metaverse is also known and there's, the, you know, the uh, Internet of Things. That was a Davos term back in the 90s. And now you see this Internet of Things and it's everything from your smart washer to your smart home and smart watch. Um, but yeah, under the Great Reset and the Fourth Industrial Revolution, there's this visionary that Klaus Schwab has at the Economic Forum who's really coming up with some of these seemingly crazy ideas. Yuval Noah Harari is his name. He's actually been promoted by everyone from Barack Obama to Mark Zuckerberg to Bill Gates. They all read his books. They've sold 20, 30 million copies worldwide, Sapiens, etc. Um, but if you watch some of these videos of Yuval Noah Harari, he has this very grim outlook for our future where, I mean, I'll just sum it up in, in more or less a quote from him. People will be in their home connected to VR uh, on drugs and playing video games. Yeah. That's life right e there. Eating the food that they tell us to eat or because of the seeds they sold us and the fake meat that they own the patents on. So does Harari think that's a good thing? I mean, he when he says that, well, he speaks rather neutrally on it, but he's, <laughs> you can't help but notice that he's kind of uh, not necessarily excited about the drugs in the video games, but excited about the AI uh, technological revolution 
um, things like microchips in uh, human bodies. He says the you know the humans of the future will be hackable, and that uh, you know if you don't get a microchip implant, then you will be left behind. So he may may not, may not be speaking uh, you know positively on it. He may you know he does uh, issue some concerns about having hackable humans. Um, yeah, but you've seen the Matrix Three, you know where this ends, you know. So it's <laughs> right, but it, nonetheless, he says there's a new caste system. He says things like uh, there will be, you know, resistance is futile. There will be no peasant revolts, um, and yeah, he writes neutrally, but also the World Economic Forum follows what he writes, and they set up initiatives about. Oh well, here's why the new microchip initiative is so important that we can really help, uh, you know. Diver- you know, help with diversity and sustainability if everybody just gets a microchip so are these guys on the cover capitalists um people think of them as capitalists but it seems to me you're arguing there's something more to them it's not just about guys that want to make money that create a new widget or new product that's helpful to people these people have a bigger vision bill gates is about more than microsoft and you know providing uh you know healthcare in the developing world they have kind of a grand vision of the world where does that come from uh and why do they feel empowered to impose this on people well, it, they're a form of capitalists. Uh, Klaus Schwab calls it stakeholder capitalism, which what does that mean? Uh, right. Effectively, it is state-run uh, capitalism like they have in China. Where and they like China, essentially, right? They, I mean, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Klaus Schwab loves China, has been traveling to and from China since the 70s. He, he and World Economic Forum uh, economists helped China open up their economy and implement the capitalist side of their communist capitalist hybrid system. But this is not the capitalism you're thinking of. This is really more close to communism. I mean, he calls it stakeholder capitalism, where all the stakeholders have a, you know, have a seat at the table. Guess who doesn't have a seat at the table? Everybody else. (laughs) Everybody else. (laughs) Right. I mean, he actually writes this manifesto in the 70s about stakeholder capitalism, and he lists all the stakeholders. The people are not on there. Well, it's just crazy because I mean- Business leaders, politicians, you know, NGOs- well, Peter Schweitzer's book, Red Handed, talked about how Silicon Valley leaders have this weird obsession with Mao and with the CCP business model. And if you're in one of those deals where, hey, it would be great if we could just get everybody to buy into this thing that we're trying to sell everyone, the best way to do that is by not giving the people a choice. And that's essentially what they're trying to do. It's like, hey, that's why they love the Chinese model. The Chinese model is top down, right? Hey, you guys will do what we're telling you to do. The problem with that is that's not how America works and that's not how other countries work. But I think that's where if you've got guys like this that are so established and so powerful and they can also be connected to the United States government levers, then they can sort of try to force feed it down the line. And that's what I think we see happening at times. Yeah, there's there's a phrase and I'm trying to remember who coined it now. It was describing China, but it comes to mind when you're talking about these control oligarchs as well. You know, we all know about Marxism, Leninism, and we know about free markets. And somebody coined the term market Leninism. So Ooh, you like take that. the market, you take the free market. But the Leninist part is what is the heart of Leninism? It's we're going to have a small clique and elite running everything, the vanguard of the proletariat that's looking out for the interest of everybody else. And that seems to me kind of what you're describing here. So I'm looking at the cover. Uh, I've read the book. It's fantastic. But there are people that are in the book that are not on the cover. Elon Musk would be an example. Who else would you want to draw attention to uh, so we don't just judge this book by its cover? 
Let's see. Yes, Elon Musk is in there in, in good detail. And uh, Lorene Powell Jobs, the widow of Steve Jobs, she's kind of like the new Soros who is funding all of these uh, democracy election in- initiatives, news initiatives, uh, counteracting so-called disinformation initiatives. What could go wrong, right? right we're, just yeah, like, yeah. we're in charge of the elections and the ability to talk about it in the media. We, we saw that happen actually in 2020. So. <laughs> right, right. right. Uh, let's see, BlackRock, Larry Fink, there's a chapter on follow the money. And that's uh, BlackRock is obviously the largest asset manager in the world with $10 trillion. I've got Vanguard and State Street, the other asset managers who are combined now topping $22 trillion. So, I mean, larger than the GDP of the United States and China or close to US, I guess, depending on the Biden inflation uh, <laughs> metrics. But uh, let's see. Um, I think the really interesting thing about BlackRock is, is, I mean, you've reported a lot about this on in your books, Peter, is uh, the, the ties to China and how much Larry Fink seems to love China. You've got Schwartzman and the other Wall Street guys who seem to love China. I think there's a really important chapter in there about how all of these guys do love China. So as Chairman Xi comes to visit uh, this week with Silicon Valley leaders, and I guess Biden has, the President of the United States has to come to him. Um, we see that they love China. The Silicon Valley people love China. You see, you can see uh, the pandemic showed Bill Gates was out there saying they have such a brilliant approach to clamping down on both uh, you know travel and movement, but also dissent. But I think why that's a problem is uh, it's one thing for people to like China, but it's another thing for people to then want to fundamentally shift the way we live as Americans. And I think that's actually during COVID, I think that it couldn't have been in a starker relief about the different political mindset and how that impacted your ability to live your life. And so I think the concern is, is that um, if you're attempting to curtail American behavior based on what you're telling us is a problem, but it's not really a problem. It's just something you need us to buy into your solution for. And that's why you can't eat meat. That's why you can't drive a gasoline-powered car. That's why you can't grow types of seeds or send your kids to the school you want to go to. I think that's when it becomes, hey, why is this okay? It's because people are positioned to make money off of it. And that's my biggest takeaway from your book. And I think you do a great job of exposing why people are so invested in selling us it's a problem because they're so poised to make money off of the solution. Yeah, that's exactly right. So give us some hope here, you know. <laughs> or don't. I'm not sure if hope sells books, well, bro. You know what I mean? <laughs> but I mean, I, I think, you know, people look at things, they get frustrated and they think, oh, there's nothing I can do about it. I, I might as well tune out. And Look, maybe the future is we all are sitting in dark basements, uh, you know, um, with brain chips in our heads, playing video games, totally tuned out. I certainly hope not. But how can people combat this? How can people fight this uh, and fight for the future? Because we've been talking about how the Great Reset occurred during the pandemic. A lot of people would say, well, that's in the past. That's not going to happen again. The point of your book is, no, this is sort of the direction that things are going under the guidance of these control oligarchs. So give us some hope. How can we fight and resist this? What can people do uh, if they're concerned about their future? Yeah, on that uh, point, then I see it, too, where uh, people say COVID is in the past, blah, blah, blah. No, uh, the pandemic was a blueprint for the future. Uh, what you can do is read about all of the things they're up to share the, you know, spread the word with your friends and family. Um, I mean, one of the concrete steps, if I were to sum it up in two words, and it seems so small uh, when you're up against trillions of dollars here, um, but is, is jealously guard your wallet and watch what you're spending your money on it. Look, watch who you're giving it to. Uh, 
cancel the subscriptions to the big tech. Watch what your kids are watching. Don't let them get on like Instagram for kids, which they're trying to work on. Um, and so, yeah, you gotta, you gotta be paying close attention to every dollar you spend and every, uh, thing you and your kids are putting into your head because mind control is probably the biggest problem. And not only do they actively want access to our minds and our lives, but we actually now, uh, pay them to have it, right? I mean, talk about Jeff Bezos, there's the Amazon Alexa, like Mark Zuckerberg, Facebook, the more you use their products, and this gets back to the documentary we did, uh, the creepy line, the more they know about us, the easier it is for them to have more control over us. And so I think it, it's all it's this is the next iteration of that. So I mean, I think it's, it's absolutely the dominant problem in uh, American society today. Absolutely. You know, it's a terrific book. It's Control Agarks. I highly recommend it. Uh, this is a copy of the book. Please pick one up. And when Seamus talks about mind control, he's not talking about something from an old Star Trek episode. This is talking about how they want to manipulate and steer the way in which you think. That's by the social media you're exposed to. But it also involves this desire on their part to encourage people to actually put chips in their brains. Uh, which to me is, again, you would think that's science fiction from 30 years ago, but it's the reality in the direction that we're going. So Seamus, great job on the book. Congratulations. Encourage everybody to get a copy of it. Discuss it with your family and friends. Let them know about it. Uh, Eric, your final thoughts on where we go from here. I mean, the chip in the brain sounds crazy, but if you think about it, like I don't even want to hold my phone up to my ear anymore. Like I need the <laughs> AirPods in the thing. And so I think the convenience yeah. is how they sell us on this thing that we otherwise would think was insane. So I mean, how much further removed are we? We already have most of the time something that's connected to a computer in our ear. Yeah. I mean, so that, that's Elon Musk's point, by the way, is like you're already hooked up to a brain microchip. You just is in your hand. Yeah. Uh, I like it when it's my point. You know, Elon can get his own material. But yeah. <laughs> right. so, well, yeah. And, and Neuralink just got FDA approval. So human test <laughs> subjects are underway. Yeah. And his point, I, I guess, is get rid of the middleman, get rid of the little earpiece and just go go straight to the brain. Uh, truly uh, frightening and important. I encourage everybody to pick up a copy. Uh, well, thank you for joining us for this podcast. As always, we appreciate your time. We know it's valuable. Uh, we hope that you've benefited and learned um, from listening to this podcast. You can find more about the research we do at thedrilldown.com. And of course, this podcast can be found and subscribed to wherever fine podcasts are located. Again, thank you for listening. Until next time.